Hi, I'm MC Jessie. 大家好，读你听二点零。今日继续读 Miguel de Cervantes 嘅 Don Quixote， 唐吉诃德啊，读到第十三节啦。呢一节嘅名叫做 In which is ended the story of the Shepherdess Marcella with other incidents。明顯就係將嗰個焦點擺落去美女啊，牧羊人 Marcella 身上啦。咁上一回就講啲牧羊者咧，同咗唐德沃德提到佢同佢嘅追求者啦嘅一啲關係啦，多數都係帶嚟不幸嘅。而佢最親近嘅一個追求者咧 ，Chrysostom 就因為求愛不遂啦而死亡嘅。咁去到咁嘅程度，殉情啦，即係就為咗呢一個。Chrysostom 嘅死去啦，咁啊做一个丧礼嘅一个葬礼仪式啦，咁啊邀请呢个 Don Quixote 去参加，咁啊当然就唔系为咗 Chrysostom 啦，其实就系想睇下 Marcella 到底佢系咪真系咁骇人出俗嘅美貌咧？咁我哋睇下呢个 Don Quixote 同埋 Marcella 之间会唔会发生啲咩奇怪事啦？跟住我哋交俾 Costa 同大家读嚟听。By hardly had day begun to show itself through the balconies of the east. When five of the six goatherds came to rouse Don Quixote and tell him that if he was still of a mind to go and see the famous burial of Chrysostom, they would bear him company, Don Quixote, who desired nothing better, rose and ordered Sancho to saddle and panel at once, which he did with all dispatch, and with the same they all set out forthwith. They had not gone a quarter of a league when, at the meeting of two paths, they saw coming towards them some six shepherds. Dressed in black sheepskins and with their heads crowned with garlands of cypress and bitter oleander, each of them carried a stout holly staff in his hand, and along with them there came two men of quality on horseback in handsome travelling dress, with three servants on foot accompanying them. Courteous salutations were exchanged on meeting, and inquiring one of the other which way each party was going, they learned that all were bound for the scene of the burial. So they went on all together. One of those on horseback addressing his companion said to him, "It seems to me, Signor Vivaldo, then we may reckon as well spend the delay we shall incur in seeing this remarkable funeral, for remarkable it cannot but be judging by the strange things these shepherds have told us of both the dead shepherd and homicide shepherdess." So I think too," replied Vivaldo, "and I would delay not to say a day, but four, for the sake of seeing it." Don Quixote asked him what it was they had heard of Marcella and Chrysostom. The traveller answered that the same morning they had met these shepherds, and seeing them dressed in this mournful fashion, they had asked them the reason of their appearing in such a guise, which one of them gave, describing the strange behaviour and beauty of the shepherdess called Marcella, and the loves of many who courted her, together with the death of that Chrysostom to whose burial they were going. In short. He repeated all that Pedro had related to Don Quixote. This conversation dropped, and another was commenced by him who was called Vivaldo, asking Don Quixote what was the reason that led him to go armed in that fashion in a country so peaceful. To which Don Quixote replied, "The pursuit of my calling does not allow or permit me to go in any other fashion. Easy life, enjoyment, and repose were invented for soft courtiers." But toil, unrest, and arms were invented and made for those alone whom the world calls knights errant, of whom I, though unworthy, am the least of all. The instant they heard this, all set him down as mad, 
and the better to settle the point and discover what kind of madness he was, Vivaldo proceeded to ask him what knight's errand meant. Have not your worships, replied Don Quixote, read the annals and histories of England, in which are recorded the famous deeds of King Arthur, whom we in our popular Castilian invariably called King Artus, with regard to whom it is an ancient tradition and commonly received all over the kingdom of Great Britain that this king did not die, but was changed by magic art into a raven, and that in process of time he is to return to reign and recover his kingdom and scepter. For which reason it cannot be proved that from that time to this any Englishman ever killed Raven? Well then, in the time of this good king, that famous order of chivalry of the Knights of the Round Table was instituted, and the armour of Don Lancelot of the lake with the Queen Guerriere occurred, precisely as is there related, the go-between and confidant therein being the highly honourable dame Quintanon. Whence came that ballad so well known and widely spread in our Spain? Oh, never surely was there night, so served by hand of them, as served was he Sir Lancelot Hyde, when he from Britain came, with all the sweet and delectable course of his achievements in love and war. Handed down from that time, then, this order of chivalry went on extending and spreading itself over many and various parts of the world, and in it, famous and renowned for their deeds, were the mighty amateurs of gold, with all his sons and descendants to the fifth generation, and the valiant Felix Mart of Hircania, and the never sufficiently praised Tirante El Blanco, and in our own days almost we have seen and heard and talked with the invincible knight Don Bellianis of Greece. This then, sirs, is to be a knight errant, and what I have spoken of is the order of his chivalry, of which, as I have already said, I, though a sinner, have made profession, and what the aforesaid knights profess that same do I profess, and so I go through these solitudes and wild seeking adventures, resolved in soul to oppose my arm in person to the most perilous that fortune may offer me in aid of the weak and needy. By these words of his, the travellers were able to satisfy themselves of Don Quixote's being out of his senses and of the form of madness that overmastered him, at which they felt the same astonishment that all felt on first becoming acquainted with it. And Vivaldo, who was a person of great shrewdness and of a lively temperament, in order to beguile the short journey which they said was required to reach the mountain, the scene of Bureau sought to give him an opportunity of going on with his absurdities. So he said to him, it seems to me, Signor Knight Errant, that your worship has made choice of one of the most austere professions in the world, and I imagine even that of the Carthusian monks is not so austere. For as austere it may perhaps be, replied our Don Quixote, but so necessary for the world I am very much inclined to doubt. For, if the truth is to be told, the soldier who executes what his captain orders does no less than the captain himself who gives the order. My meaning is that churchmen in peace and quiet pray to heaven for the welfare of the world, but we soldiers and knights carry into effect what they pray for, defending it with the might of our arms and the edge of our swords, not under shelter but in the open air, a target for the intolerable rays of the sun in summer and the piercing frosts in winter. Thus are we God's ministers on earth and the arms by which his justice is done therein. And as the business of war and all that relates and belongs to it cannot be conducted without exceeding great sweat, toil, and exertion. It follows that those who make it their profession have undoubtedly more labour than those who in tranquil peace and quiet are engaged in praying to God to help the weak. 
I do not mean to say, nor does it enter into my thoughts, that the knight errant's calling is as good as that of the monk in his cell. I would merely infer from that I endure myself that it is beyond a doubt a more laborious and a more belabored one, a hungrier and thirstier, a wretcheder, raggeder, and lousier. For there is no reason to doubt that the knight errant of yore endured much hardship in the course of their lives. And if some of them, by the might of their arms, did rise to be empress, in favour it cost them dear in the matter of blood and sweat. And if those who attained to that rank had not had magicians and sages to help them, they would have been completely bold in their ambition and disappointed in their hopes. That is my own opinion, replied the traveller. But one thing among many others seemed to me very wrong in Knights Errand, and that is that when they find themselves about to engage in some mighty and perilous adventure in which there is manifest danger of losing their lives, they never at the moment of engaging in it think of commending themselves to God, as is the duty of every good Christian in like peril, instead of which they commend themselves to their ladies with as much devotion as if these were their gods, a thing which seems to me to savor somewhat of heathenism. Sir, answered Don Quixote, that cannot be on any account omitted, and the knight errant would be disgraced who acted otherwise. For it is usual and customary in knight errantry that the knight errant, who on engaging in any great feat of arms has his lady before him, should turn his eyes toward her softly and lovingly, as though with them entreating her to favor and protect him in the hazardous venture he is about to undertake, and even though no one hear him, he is bound to say certain words between his teeth, commending himself to her with all his heart, and of this we have innumerable instances in the histories. Nor is it to be supposed from this that they are to omit commending themselves to God, for there will be time and opportunity for doing so while they are engaged in their task. For all that, answered the traveller, I feel some doubt still, because often I have read how words will arise between two knights errant, and from one thing to another it comes about that their anger kindles, and they wheel their horses round and take a good stretch of field, and then without any more ado, at the top of their speed they come to the charge, and in mid they are wont to commend themselves to their ladies. And what commonly comes of the encounter is that one falls over the haunches of his horse pierced through and through by his antagonist's lance, and as for the other, it is only by holding on to the mane of his horse that he can help falling to the ground. But I know not how the dead man had time to commend himself to God in the course of such rapid work as this. It would have been better if those words which he spent in commending himself to his lady in the midst of his career had been devoted to his duty and obligation as a Christian. Moreover, it is my belief that all knights errant have not ladies to commend themselves to, for they are not all in love. That is impossible said Don Quixote. I say it is impossible that there could be a knight errant without a lady, because to such it is as natural and proper to be in love as to the heavens to have stars. Most certainly no history has been seen in which there is to be found a knight errant without an armour, and for the simple reason that without one he would be held no legitimate knight but a bastard, and one who had gained entrance into the stronghold of the said knighthood, not by the door, but over the wall like a thief in the robber. Nevertheless, said the traveller, if I remember rightly, I think I have read that Don Galon, the brother of the valiant Amadis of Gaul, never had any special lady to whom he might commend himself, and yet he was not the less esteemed, and was a very stout and famous knight. To which our Don Quixote made answer, Sir, one solitary swallow does not make summer, 
Moreover, I know that Knight was in secret very deeply in love, besides which, the way of falling in love with all that took his fancy was a natural propensity which he could not control. But in short, it is very manifest that he had one alone whom he made mistress of his will, to whom he commanded himself very frequently and very secretly, for he prided himself on being a reticent knight. Then, if it be essential that every knight errant should be in love, said the traveller, it may be fairly supposed that your worship is so, as you are of the order, and if you do not pride yourself on being as reticent as Don Gallo, I entreat you as earnestly as I can, in the name of all this company and in my own, to inform us of name, country, rank, and beauty of your lady, for she will esteem herself fortunate if all the world knows that she is loved and served by such a knight as your worship seems to be. At this Don Quixote heaved a deep sigh and said, I cannot say possibly whether my sweet enemy is pleased or not that the world should know I serve her. I can only say in answer to what has been so courteously asked of me, and that her name is Dothenia, her country El Toboso, a village of La Mancha. Her rank must be at least that of a princess, since she is my queen and lady, and her beauty superhuman, since all the impossible and fanciful attributes of beauty which the poets apply to their ladies are verified in her. For her hairs are gold, her forehead Elysian fields, her eyebrows rainbows, her eyes suns, her cheeks roses, her lips coral, her teeth pearls, her neck alabaster, her bosom marble, her hands ivory, her fairness snow, and what modesty conceals from sight such, I think and imagine, as rational reflection can only extol, not compare. We should like to know her lineage, race, and ancestry, said Vivaldo. To which Don Quixote replied, She is not of the ancient Roman Curti, Sai, or Serpios, nor of the modern Colonas or Orsini, nor of the Moncadas or Racassines of Catalonia, nor yet of the Ribellas of Villanovas or Valencia, Palafoxes, Nuses, Roccabertis, Corellas, Lunas, Alagones, Urias, Forces, Augurias of Aragon, Cerdas, Manriques, Mendozas, or Guzmans of Castile, Alacastros, Palas, or Manassas of Portugal. But she is of those of El Toboso of La Mancha, a lineage that, though modern, may furnish a source of gentle blood for the most illustrious families of the ages that are to come. And this let none dispute with me, save on the condition that Sabino plays at the foot of the trophy of Orlando's arms, saying, These let none move, who dareth not his might with Roland proof. Although mine is of the Acatropins of Loredo, said the traveller, I will not venture to compare it with that of El Toboso of La Mancha, though, to tell the truth, no such surname has until now ever reached my ears. What, said Don Quixote, has that never reached them? The rest of the party went along listening with great attention to the conversation of the pair, and even the very goatherds and shepherds perceived how exceedingly out of his wits our Don Quixote was. Sancho Panza alone thought that what his master said was the truth, knowing who he was and having known him from his birth, and all that he felt any difficulty in believing was that about the fair Dothenia the Apostle, because neither any such name nor any such princess had ever come to his knowledge though he lived so close to El Apostle. They were going along conversing in this way when they saw descending a gap between two high mountains some twenty shepherds, all clad in sheepskins of black wool and crowned with garlands which, as afterwards appeared, were some of them of you, some of Cyprus. 
Six of the number were carrying a bier covered with a great variety of flowers and branches. On seeing which one of the goatherd said, "Those who came there are the bearers of Chrysostom's body, and the foot of that mountain is the place where he ordered them to bury him." They therefore made haste to reach the spot, and did so by the time those who came had laid the bier upon the ground, and four of them with sharp pickaxes were digging a grave by the side of a hard rock. They greeted each other courteously. And then Don Quixote and those who accompanied him turned and examined the bier, and on it, covered with flowers, they saw a dead body in the dress of a shepherd, to all appearance of one thirty years of age, and showing even in death that in life he had been of comely features and gallant bearing. Around him, on the bier itself, were laid some books and several papers open and folded. And those who were looking on, as well as those who were opening the grave, and all the others who were there, preserved a strange silence. Until one of those who had borne the body said to another, "Observe carefully, Ambrosio, if this is the place Chrysostom spoke of, since you are anxious that what he directed in his will should be so strictly complied with." This is the place," answered Ambrosio. For in it many a time did my poor friend tell me the story of his hard fortune. Here it was, he told me, that he saw for the first time that mortal enemy of the human race, and here too, for the first time, he declared to her his passion, as honourable as it was devoted. And here it was that at last Marcella ended by scorning and rejecting him, so as to bring the tragedy of his wretched life to a close. Here, in memory of misfortunes so great, he decided to be laid in the bowels of eternal oblivion. Then, turning to Don Quixote and the travellers, he went on to say, "That body, sirs." On which you are looking with compassionate eyes was the abode of a soul on which heaven bestowed a vast share of its riches. That is the body of Chrysostom, who was unrivalled in wit, unequalled in courtesy, unapproached in gentle bearing, a phoenix in friendship, generous without limit, grave without arrogance, gay without vulgarity, and in short, first in all that constitutes goodness, and second to none in all that makes up misfortune. He loved deeply. He was hated. He adored. He was scorned. He wooed a wild beast. He pleaded with marble. He pursued the wind. He cried to the wilderness. He served in gratitude, and for reward was made the prey of death in the mid-course of life, cut short by a shepherdess whom he sought to immortalize in the memory of men, as these papers, which you see, could fully prove, had he not commanded me to consign them to the fire after having consigned his body to the earth. You would deal with them more harshly and cruelly than his own himself," said Fivaldo. "For it is neither right nor proper to do the will of one who enjoins what is wholly unreasonable. It would not have been reasonable in Augustus Caesar had he permitted the directions left by the divine Mantuan in his will to be carried into effect. So that, Signor Ambrosio, while you consign your friend's body to the earth, you should not consign his writings to oblivion. For if he gave the order in bitterness of heart." It is not right that you should irrationally obey it. On the contrary, by granting life to those papers, let the cruelty of Marcella live forever, to serve as a warning in ages to come to all men to shun and avoid falling into like danger. For I and all of us who have come here know already the story of this your love-stricken and heartbroken friend, and we know too your friendship and the cause of his death and the directions he gave at the close of his life. From which sad story may be gathered how great was the cruelty of Marcella, the love of Chrysostom, and the loyalty of their friendship, together with the end awaiting those who pursue rashly the path that insane passion opens to their eyes. Last night we learned the death of Chrysostom and that he was to be buried here. In utter curiosity and pity, 
We left our direct road and resolved to come and see with our eyes that which, when heard of, had so moved our compassion. And in consideration of that compassion and our desire to prove it, if we might buy condolence, we beg of you, excellent Ambrosio, or at least I, on my own account, entreat you that instead of burning those papers, you allow me to carry away some of them. And without waiting for the shepherd's answer, he stretched out his hand and took up some of those that were nearest to him, seeing which Ambrosio said, Out of courtesy, signor, I will grant your request as to those you have taken, but it is idle to expect me to abstain from burning the remainder. Vivaldo, who was eager to see what the papers contained, opened one of them at once and saw that its title was Lay of Despair. Ambrosio, hearing it, said, It is the last paper the unhappy man wrote, and that you may see, signor, to what an end his misfortunes brought him. Read it so that you may be heard, for you will have time enough for that while we are waiting for the grave to be done. I will do so very willingly, said Trivaldo, and as all the bystanders were equally eager, they gathered round him, and he, reading in a loud voice, found that it ran as follows. Costa. 好，故事又讲到呢度啦。唐吉诃德喺去参加呢一个丧礼嘅路上咧，就遇到几位女者啦。咁啊，其中之一个叫做 Fifaldo 嘅人，咁佢咧就似乎都都根基清醒嘅。佢唔单止同唐吉诃德倾咗好耐偈啦，了解咗更多佢佢嘅爱情观啦，佢骑士爱情观啦，仲有咧佢仲会阻止咗喺现场白净师咧。去烧咗 Chrysostom 嘅遗书啦，一啲写作啦，阻止佢咁做。咁佢认为咧呢啲遗言作为一个男性嘅吓为防啊，再俾啲好似麦瑟拉呢个人咧，或者呢啲咁嘅女人所迷惑咧，系对男人嚟讲系非常之有用嘅。咁啊，故此咧佢就攞咗几页纸，决定咧就读俾大家听。至於呢個內容呢，喺呢一節呢就賣咗個關子先，咁下一節呢就會有一個好詳細嘅否白㗎啦，相信。睇下呢字有啲咩字同大家分享。Austere，Austere，A U S T E R E，A U S T E R E 係一個形容詞嚟嘅，誒文中出現咗幾次用嚟形容嘅，同佢覺得形容佢自己嗰、那個呢、這個態度作為一個騎士。Severe or strict in manner or attitude, 係非常之對自己好嚴謹又嚴厲。Propensity, propensity, 名詞嚟嘅，中文解傾向。An inclination or natural tendency to behave in a particular way. 文中都係同佢我答佢形容佢嘅傾向啊，作為一個騎士要點做啊。Reticent, reticent. R E T I C E N T, reticent, 形容词嚟嘅 Not revealing one's thoughts or feelings readily, 避谈啊，会被讲关于佢自己嘅一啲深入啲嘅谂法啦。好，呢一节就嚟到呢度，下一次再读俾你听。拜拜。If you like this video, make sure to comment, like, share, and subscribe. Adios.